We have been working through the Apostles' Creed, known to many of us from our childhood, from churches that may have been Lutheran, Presbyterian, Methodist, Catholic, Episcopal, Orthodox. The Creed is used around the world by millions of Christians every Sunday. As they say it together, we ourselves are not as familiar with the Creed, but we confess these things which it uh, confesses to be true, and we will read it together now. So let's read the Creed together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Next week, I'm going to be talking about, I believe, in the Holy Spirit. It could be that the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is the most neglected part of Baptist teaching and preaching. Some have asserted that to be the case. I don't know that it is, but I am glad to be able to preach on the Holy Spirit next Sunday, and I hope that you'll be here as we look at the rest of the creed. This is the last phrase that is part of, I believe, in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. And it has been expanded into a large paragraph in the creed, and we come now, from thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. By the way, lest you be confused, I am not Taylor Rutland. And is Taylor in the room? Taylor, would you please stand, sir? There's Taylor right back there. He and I do not bear much resemblance. Uh, we know now that the worship guide is not infallible. All right? And we suspected that all along, but now we know for sure and have evidence thereof. We did change uh, here in recent weeks, and I didn't know that he was still in there. But he will be preaching again at some point. Today, though, we are looking at Acts chapter 10 as we talk about judgment, about judging. And this is hard, okay? And it will not be the case that when I get done with this message today, you will have all your questions answered about how to judge as a parent, as an employer, as a civil servant. There will be questions that remain about judging, but we're going to hit some of the highlights in this matter of judging, and Jesus is designated as the judge of the living and the dead. By the way, that just means everybody, all right? Some people think that's the spiritually alive and spiritually dead. Some people think it's the physically alive and dead. I would say whatever it means, it includes everybody. So that's all of us, all right? He's going to judge the living and the dead. It encompasses us all. 
I want to read a wonderful passage from Acts 10. I'm going to start in verse 34. I wish I could read more of it. This is Peter and Cornelius. This is God taking Peter by the hand, helping him understand that, yes, Jews are part of the new covenant of grace. And yes, in chapter 8 of Acts, Samaritans are part of the new covenant of grace in Jesus. And in Acts chapter 10, even Gentiles are in this new covenant of grace. And it is an eye-opening experience to Peter and others of the Jews who all along would suppose that Gentiles were simply outside of the grace of God. God leads him to the home of Gentile, Cornelius. Cornelius tells him what has happened and how God has orchestrated this meeting. And in verse 34, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. I love that testimony of Jesus, by the way. It needs to be highlighted in your mind and heart. This is the reputation of the Savior who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed. It's beautiful. Now, I want you to note the several phrases in the creed that are here embedded in Peter's speech. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. 2 Timothy chapter 4, a second instance of the living and the dead, judge of the living and the dead, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. Peter again in 1 Peter 4, talking about our friends who want us back in the world doing the things we did before we came to know Jesus and have the transformation that he wrought in our lives. They are surprised, these folks who want you back in the world, that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you, but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Paul the Apostle says at Mars Hill in a great sermon that God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. 
He has given proof by raising him from the dead. You are made in the image of God. Early on in the Bible, it affirms this about you. God made man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And the image of God is mentioned again and again in the scriptures. Part of being made in the image of God is this capacity you have to love another person. God loves you freely, not because he is coerced. And when you give genuine love away, you are loving freely, not under coercion. Not because you have to, but because you want to. It is the highest moral impulse of the human heart to love someone freely. And it is part of how we are made in God's image, and it is the climactic moment of our moral reasoning. We are volitional human beings. We choose, we discern right and wrong. We make choices and decisions. We all know that to be true about us. We feel the responsibility to make these judgments. They climax, this gift of moral responsibility climaxes in the capacity to love. In this way, you are made in God's image. The scripture says here that Jesus is the judge. He is the one appointed by God, Peter preaches, to judge the living and the dead. In fact, the scripture says repeatedly that Jesus has been appointed to do this. Jesus himself says in John chapter 5 that the Father has given to the Son the responsibility for all judgment. It's interesting, isn't it? That he who sits at the right hand of the Father in his majesty, the one who died upon the cross, descended all the way from heaven to earth, now sits on the throne It is comforting to know that when we face the judge, he will be Jesus, our Savior, because God has given him the responsibility for judgment. The judge is also the Savior. I think that's beautiful. I am comforted by that truth. Now, God does what is right. Because Jesus is the judge, you can rest assured that the right thing will be done and justice will prevail. Ultimately, this universe is a moral universe in which God rules with providential care. And the statement of the final judgment is a communication to you and me who sometimes stand in front of the mess in the world and ask, where is the justice? It is a statement that there is justice in the world. And it may not appear in this life while you are walking the planet, 
But one day, there will be a judgment of the living and the dead. Every person. Now, Jesus says to the, to the Pharisees, my judgment is right and true because everything I do, I do to please the Father. I know that you sometimes are in a moral quandary. You're not sure how you should judge. Sometimes you look back on the discipline that you have meted out and you think, was I too soft? Was I too harsh? Did I do the right thing? Was it balanced in the proper way? Did I do it in the right way at the right time? And you have a moral quandary. It is helpful for you if you follow the example of Jesus and seek to please the Father in your judgment. All right? So when you are faced with the decision that you must make that affects an employee or a family member, you say to yourself, I want to please the Father. I like that Jesus, when he talked about judging rightly, he spoke about pleasing the Father. Because the word Father communicates the personal love and attention God gives to every one of us in the room. So he is not some distant, cold, and calculating judge. He is the Father. And if you seek to please the Father, there will be that mercy in your heart. The Bible says that mercy triumphs over judgment. Jesus says, my judgment is right because I seek to please the Father. He also says in a, another place and a similar way that when he judges, he stands with the Father. I guess the debate's been going on for centuries. Where do people get their rights? Are these rights innate or are they given by government to people? Thank you, <laughs> buzzer. <laughs> For the Declaration of Independence says, and our founders believed that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their, what? Creator with certain unalienable rights. In this document, our founders confess a view of the law and human rights that prevailed at that time and should continue to prevail today. That governments do not give us rights, they are given by the Creator. And the highest moral ground that you will ever attain is when you stand with the Father in your judgment because He originates the true law under which we live. And he is the final arbiter of what is right and what is wrong. So if you please the Father and you stand with the Father, then you are confessing that law actually supersedes all human existence and all human institutions. And that what we are seeking to do is discover what the Creator has given in these rights. In fact, the Declaration says that governments are established among men to secure these rights that the Creator gives. That's the function and role of government. 
We have to confess this as people of God because we know it is what Jesus taught and what he believed about pleasing the Father and standing with the Father in all the judgment which he passes. We also need to stand there because it is the greatest protection of our rights on this planet. Our rights and our laws are protected when we appeal to the highest authority, which is the Creator. And all of our human efforts to pass laws and govern and to make judgments, they are fallible human efforts. And we want them to point toward the perfect judge of all the earth who always does right, our Father in heaven, the Creator God. So when you make your judgments, follow the pattern of Jesus, seek to please the Father in the judgments that you make, and stand with the Father, because often you know exactly where the Father stands in these issues. He has told us in his word, and his word does not lie. Amen? As Brother Tim wrote and has helped us sing this morning, your word cannot lie. All right? Now, Jesus is the judge. He judges this way in righteousness and justice, pleasing the Father, standing with the Father. And you can give a sigh of relief, sister. You are not the judge. Now, this ought to comfort you as much as the fact that you're not sitting at the right hand. Jesus is at the right hand of the majesty on high. We just confessed that. Now we're confessing that he is the judge of the living and the dead, not us. We don't have to sit in the seat of judgment. It is a relief. It brings us comfort and peace to know that we are not the judge because sometimes people want us to be the judge. They'll navigate us into a corner insisting that we make a judgment even a theoretical judgment about who is saved and who is lost who's in heaven who's in hell sometimes they want us to be very specific about this James Foley was beheaded in August he was a journalist who went into journalism and went into dangerous places because he felt the call of God to do so. He was a devout Catholic who talked with his friends about the Word of God, talked with them about theology. That was James Foley. When he was killed, many people said he was martyred and held him up as an example of a martyr. Later on, it came out that James Foley had converted to Islam during his captivity. You do know the book of Hebrews in your Bible was written to a church in which people reverted back to their old ways after they had confessed that Jesus was Lord. And the church was struggling to know what to do with them after the waves of persecution had passed. And now they wanted back in to the flock. They wanted to be part of the church again, having denied that Jesus was Lord when the persecution came and the threat of death was near. 
And the book of Hebrews is written in part to help the church deal with that kind of moral dilemma. Well, what about James Foley? A priest is quoted in an editorial concerning this, and he says, the answer is, we cannot access that information. We cannot see inside the human soul. It is all right for you to say, I don't know. There are some things about which you must render judgment, and there are some things about which you must not render judgment. And if you step across that line and you read your judgment about something which you cannot access because you cannot see the soul, if you step across that line and you render moral judgment, you will be torn to shreds by your adversaries, all right? Because some of them are just waiting for you to demonstrate that kind of arrogance and haughtiness and suggest to other people that you sit in the seat of judgment. They're just waiting for it. And as soon as you make the judgment, they're going to revert to the truth that all of us know. Everybody's a sinner. Everybody's broken the law. Who are you to say the eternal destination of some individual? You cannot access their soul. You don't have that information. You will undercut the credibility of your testimony if you step into the seat of judgment. There are some things about which you must make judgments, and there's some things about which you must not. Don't go there. Jesus is the judge, not you. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. Be careful with the temptation to be the judge yourself. Be careful with it. Because the temptation for you to be the judge may come from a self-righteousness inside of you, not from the grace of the Lord Jesus at all. See, the grace of the Lord Jesus humbles me and brings me low. I cannot say, once I have trusted Jesus as Savior, that it was by any merit of mine that I, uh, that I have become a child of God. I am completely without anything to brag about in my own behavior. If I have any bragging to do, it's all about Jesus who rescued me from sin when I could not rescue myself. I have, in fact, confessed that I am a lawbreaker and a sinner and in need of the forgiveness of God. But if there's something inside of me that still supposes 
that I stand before God and am in his favor because of my behavior, if there's something that suggests that to me, that I have done better than other people, that I've been a better dad or a better parent or a better employer or a better citizen, and therefore because I've been better, I have found favor with God. And my real standing with God is not so much about what Jesus did on the cross, but how good I've done since I showed up on the planet. If I really, if I'm holding that view, you know, then there's a self-righteousness in me that is dangerous to my eternal future. Jesus encountered such people in his ministry on earth. They said to him, why is he hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? Mark tells us that many sinners hung around Jesus along with the tax collectors. And they accused Jesus of not being in God's favor because he hung around with these sinful people. They themselves believed that they had standing with God because they were keeping the rules like they understood them. They were tithing, they were praying, they were fasting, they were going to church. They were doing these rules, and they felt like they had kept them in such a way that they were really the purified ones. And Jesus said to them, and you've got to hear this, okay? Brother and sister, you've got to hear this. Jesus said to these folks who believed that they had kept the rules in such a way that they'd found favor with God, and their standing with God was based on their moral performance. He said to them, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go in to the kingdom of God before you. Tax collected and prostitution may be sinful, but it doesn't bring the iron curtain down between you and God like your self-righteousness does. Your self-righteousness will isolate you from the Father in heaven quicker and more permanently than any other sin which you might commit to believe that you have achieved this plane of moral su supremacy, su supremacy and that, that this is why you have standing with God. It will kill any opportunity for the grace of God to come into your life. That's why Jesus said the tax collectors and the prostitutes who know they're doing wrong, they go into the kingdom of God before you, Pharisees. Because you are relying on your own performance and your goodness, and there's nothing so lost as that. You are not the judge. You are not the standard of moral perfection. The list of laws that you have accumulated to judge other people is your own manufacturing and I suspect that your own sins are not at the top, they're at the bottom. We are all lawbreakers in need of the forgiveness of God. Judge not, Jesus said, that you be not judged. Because if you sit in that seat, the judgment you mete out will come right back on you. Paul said in Romans chapter 2, having talked about the Gentiles and how they failed miserably to keep the law of God and how wicked they were, he then turns to the Jew, the covenant person, 
who feels secure in his own position. He says, and you, old man, who passed judgment, you're in the same situation because you do the same stuff. The truth is, when we're honest with ourselves, every day we need the forgiveness and grace of the Lord Jesus. Every day we need his mercy. Every day we sense our own moral failure and cling to the cross as our only solution. Somebody in this room has given up on dealing with your sin and you decided to get comfortable with it. You were convicted at one time about it. But you said yes long enough, you're comfortable now in your sin and you know it's sin you know it's against God's word that will not lie and you know you're not standing with the Father in this behavior that is yours today I want you to revisit that place where you know you rebelled against the clear will of God and once again do what you did in the past confess your sin to God receive his forgiveness and seek to live a holy life standing with the Father. Don't get comfortable in that place where you are, whether it's pride or arrogance or greed or slothfulness. Whatever it is, would you again, you say, well, I've I tried to confess that sin. That's my besetting sin you're talking about. It gets a hold of me no matter what I do. So you're going to give up? You can't do that. That's not the real you. If Christ saved you by his grace and made you new, a new creation, then you must sense the prompting of the Holy Spirit in your heart and say, God, forgive me for ever getting comfortable standing in a place where the Father does not stand. Purge my heart and help me again. Get in that place where I, where I know you want me to be. I am urging you to this because Jesus is the judge. You are not the judge, but you will be judged. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. We just confess that we believe that Jesus is going to come to judge the living and the dead, and that includes us. The Bible talks about the judgment seat of Christ. It's in uh, 1 Corinthians, where the Scripture mentions, if I can find it here, take my word for it, okay? It's in there. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, what we understand that to be is that we are going to face our Lord, and he is going to weigh our works. And yes, there will be a judgment for Christians as well. In Revelation chapter 20, then, you have the great white throne judgment. And death and hell give up all the dead that are in them, and they stand before the throne. And the one who sits on the throne is so fearsome that the sky in terror runs away. And at the great white throne, they open the books. 
they open the books. There are some maybe still in this room who want the books to be opened of your life, your words, your deeds when you appear before the judge. That's what you're saying when you suppose that your behavior has gotten you favor with God. You don't want to stand at the judgment and have them open the books. Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. What you want to do is trust completely in Jesus and him alone for your standing with God. Confess that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Receive the forgiveness that only he can give. Commit your life to him and confess that he is Lord in you. Having done that, John the Apostle has a word for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. You want to appear before Jesus confident? Then live in love. In this world, we are like Jesus. That's the goal. That's the heart. You've trusted in Christ, Him alone, for your salvation. You're seeking to live a life that honors Him. How do you do that? You live in love every day of your life. We are like Jesus in this world when we love. Bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, I pray for the one who has held on to some form of self-righteousness and never confessed Jesus as Lord. I pray your Holy Spirit will draw them to yourself today. Lord, that they will know the helplessness of their condition and trust in you alone. I pray for Christians who have gotten comfortable with sin, that the day of judgment to come will be so real in our minds and hearts that we will again stand with the Father seeking to please Him and reject anything that we know to be against His will and purpose. Lord, I pray that love will so abound in us that in this world we will be like Jesus in whose name we pray, amen.